0: Ephesians chapter number 6, we just completed verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God over the past few weeks, and I'd like to read verses 18 through 20, if you'll follow. It sort of flows naturally, there's really uh, no division here, the sentence isn't even completed until we get to the end of verse 20. So, let me read verse 17 again, and then we'll flow naturally into verse 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, Paul says, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." We've just completed, as you've heard and we read a moment ago, we've just completed Paul's instruction and application about the Christian soldier's armor. This metaphor that he uses illustrates the spiritual reality that we are at war against all kinds of spiritual forces of darkness. We fight against our own flesh and our own natural corruptions constantly. We fight against the evil that exists in the world around us and our flesh naturally gravitates toward. And we fight against the agent who leads the fight against God and his children, the devil himself. This is an intense conflict. This is an ongoing war and will not end until we leave this world. We are outmatched physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and without the provision of the armor of God, the whole armor of God, we could not resist nor overcome. And so verses 18 through 20 It seems as if the apostle is moving by just the content of thought here that he's moving in a different direction. It's as if he's closing out one block of information and he's beginning a new one. What is the relationship between the Christian soldier armed for battle and prayer? I'm sure that we all Recognize the connection at some level. There's a powerful encouragement in the connection between the uniform that equips us and praying. And I pray that God our Father will grant us today a special measure of his spirit so that we might see more fully this connection. And be inspired to follow the exhortation from the Spirit on praying. Once we can see this connection, we identify that the Christian soldier has actually an an open line of communication with their general. Who is also declared himself to be our father. And that we have access to him through the Son of God and the Spirit of God. They both work together to bring us into the presence of God. It's the mission of Christ on the earth. It's the mission of the Spirit today. To bring us to God, who is our Father. And why is this important to know? it is because it is our father who commissions the release of the blessings and the aid and the support that we need in our battles against the world the flesh and the devil praying it's easy to recognize just by the very word it's it's a verb it speaks of Action, an action that we must be engaged in. Praying. We put prayer into motion. We might be inclined to think that with the whole armor of God, we are now sufficient to carry on the fight against our enemy. Wrong. Praying is necessary, it is the first thing that we must do. Praying. This Greek word is actually a compound of two Greek words that envision us going to God. There's, a, there's the sense of going to God in this very word as it's combined. Going into the presence of God with the purpose of worshiping him and asking him. So when we hear praying, we should think of these ideas. We we go to adore God, adoration. We go to praise him. We go to thank him. And we go to him to ask him, help us, or We bring others before him in intercessory prayer. And on their behalf, we ask that God would provide assistance. That's praying that is mentioned here in verse 18. So the first thing we must do once we are fully armored is we must do what God has called us to do. But we must not trust in our own strength. There is where we will fail is if we go forth to fight against these forces against us in our own strength. Yes, we must invest our own energy into the battle. But even with God's armor, we must put our faith in God and in his grace as we go. Grace, grace, we trust in God and his grace, grace that is free and sufficient for every conflict we encounter and we pray to gain it. Yes, we are the ones that go out to battle fully armored, but we must beware. We can trust in our own strength and fail to trust in the power that God gives Sometimes we have to experience that failure in painful ways to teach us that we are trusting more in ourself than we are in God. That's a lesson that seldom does a new Christian grasp. It's a lesson that even sometimes as we get older, we fail to remember. I can't do this in my own strength. So as I go out to face whatever forces are working against me today, I must go praying. That's the whole energy of this. Go praying. Go into the battle. Praying. Go fight your enemies. Praying. Of all of the possible actions of a soldier going to war, praying is not what we anticipate. But now that it's been declared in our text that this ought to be our first action, wouldn't you agree it makes sense? What are you going to trust in? What are you going to lean upon? If it is God, then you'll be praying. To say that you lean upon God and you're not praying is self-deception. If you're leaning on God, you are praying for his aid and for his assistance. We know that the enemy we fight is not flesh and blood. We know that our uniform is spiritual. We know that our power to overcome is a spiritual power made available to every child of God. And Paul declared that it is the same exact power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power we are seeking, not our own. But the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul said, is available for you. How do we get it? Praying. That's how we tap into this great provision that God has for his children. This action of praying that we have here in verse 18 requires humility. Because we are acknowledging our weakness. If you acknowledge your weakness, you're praying. If you're not praying, then you don't acknowledge your weakness. So this praying that we have here requires humility. Without the provisions that Christ has provided for us, We can do nothing. But with those provisions that he has provided for us, we can do anything. But the power is not in our flesh. The power is of God. This praying that we are exhorted to do acknowledges our complete dependence upon divine aid. And praying requires faith. And faith must have courage. Believing that something is true and not acting upon what you believe is true is not biblical faith. Faith must have courage. That's what Hebrews 11 is telling us. Faith must have courage. Remember in Second Peter, back some years ago, our men did a Bible study in Second Peter, chapter number 1, 10 or 11 verses, and Peter talks about God having given all of us a common faith. We all have faith. It's a gift of God to us. We all have it. But not everyone is going to utilize and develop that faith as they should. And we know that the only thing that grows faith is the word of God. And when Peter talks about this as being what faith will do as we live out our life in the Christian life, in this world, he says, you cannot leave faith standing alone. He says, you must add to your faith. And the first thing he said that we are to add to our faith is what, C.W.? ver. The word is virtue. The Romans called it ver. It was kind of a, a manliness and a courage that the soldier must have if he's going to war. It's interesting. The first thing we add to our faith is courage. A soldier must, a spiritual soldier must have courage. And so we add to our faith This virtue and it speaks of a power, an energy, and a courage that is possessed that we have. So, just having faith is not enough. Praying creates this vortex around the believer's life, and there's this unusual energy found in prayer to be faithful, to be obedient the will of God as it is revealed to us in his word. Praying without faith, James said, let not that man think that he will receive anything from God. If you pray unbelieving and you don't have faith, don't think God's going to respond to that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter eleven. So when we think of praying, praying is not just pouring out all of our concerns and it's it's actually expressing what we desire God to aid us and enable us to do. And after we have asked God for that, we just don't sit down and do nothing. Now we must act upon that which we have prayed. And so praying requires A response of the believer to act in courage. Praying. Not only do we face the challenges of our day by praying, but we are told here by the apostle that we are to keep on praying, right? Praying always. Always, meaning at all times, never go into conflict, never go out and facing your own sin, the world, and anything around you. Never go without praying, always. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We're often deceived, you know, it was like Joshua after he conquered the city of Jericho. What a mighty victory. (laughs) And then he looks at the little city of Ai and he says, oh, that's not going to take that much effort. We'll send parts, just parts of our army. And they were sent fleeing. He assumed that they could defeat the enemy with little effort because it didn't look like a big problem. You know where the devil gets us most of the time? It's those little things that we think we can handle and manage. And he trips us up and tangles us because why? We are trusting in our flesh and not in God. Jesus taught a lot on the subject of prayer in the Gospels. He illustrated even a prayer life. For example, in Luke 18, 1, He gave this parable, we are told, teaching us to pray always and not faint. Pray always. Praying, this kind of praying requires endurance and patience. At times we we'll feel overwhelmed and we wonder why God does not hear or or why does God wait? Our faith in God must always be greater than our circumstances that we're in. We must believe in him, have faith in him, and go forth and do those things he's asked us to do, trusting that he will enable us to win the battle. Our faith in God is great enough that we can fight in the heat of the battle. And having done all, Paul says, we stand, we hold our ground until God comes, till the reinforcements appear, until the power is released. And so Paul is encouraging the Christian soldier, keep on praying. Did you pray when you got up this morning, knowing the challenges that you would face? The challenges of resisting your own spirit and mind in preparations for worship. Did you pray? What will you do today after you leave services and go out into the world? What will you do with the things you've gathered and heard? Will they slip away or will you pray that God would use these things in your life? Praying without ceasing. Don't think there's a situation that you will face today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, that you will not be required to be praying. So praying, we must never cease as Christian soldiers in this world. We must always be praying. Paul exhorted the suffering church in Macedonia, the church of Thessalonica, He told them to pray without ceasing. It's a little overwhelming to contemplate, isn't it? Pray without ceasing. Without any interruption to your prayer. How is that done? What does it look like? Essentially, it simply means to stay in a prayerful state of mind. Don't let anything take away a prayerful state of mind. You may be busy with life's details and distractions and working a job and caring for children, but we must learn to keep our mind and affections tuned to the Word and the Spirit and be ready when the moment comes with that prayerful state of mind because your day will be challenged somewhere. And if you're not in the prayerful state of mind, you will be caught off guard and put back on your heels. Don't let things happen in your life. Don't let dispositions and sinful attitudes and, and sinful actions be left undealt with because that will hinder the state of mind of prayer. First John made it very clear in chapter 1, if you want to walk with God, you have to be ready to acknowledge and confess your sin all the time. Don't deny you're a sinner. You are a sinner. Don't be overwhelmed by the fact you're a sinner. Just confess it and acknowledge it before God and enjoy the cleansing that he will give to you, laid up for you, and the washing of the blood of Christ across your life. So don't let things happen that disturb your prayerful state of mind. Even when you're busy, sometimes on breaks, and moments here and there. You can pause and keep that mind fine-tuned, a state of mind of prayer. That's praying all, always ready, always ready to pray and ask God, seek God, worship God. So we must keep the prayer line from being hindered as we go about our daily life. Paul even adds more here, praying always, he then says, with all prayer. Praying with all prayer and supplication. While we are encouraged to be in a state of prayer, a state of mind concerning prayer all the time, he now tells us there are different kinds of prayer. And we should be engaged in all of them, praying with all prayer, all kinds of prayer. Having a prayerful mind and, and speaking back and forth with God during the day is a sweet and wonderful thing, and it's an acceptable kind of prayer. Because we are constantly thinking about the provisions of Christ that give us access and the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding us of all that has been done to bring us to the Father. He doesn't want you to be apart from him except when you're, you're in the closet. You know? Except when you're in the morning, five, six, seven o'clock time of morning prayer. He wants to commune with you all day long. He wants you to have that state of mind. And he wants you to use all kinds of prayers that are at your disposal. Some prayers are scheduled. Some are not. Some are morning prayers, evening prayers, family prayers, worship prayers. You can find all of these, by the way, in the book of Psalms. Psalms. All the kinds of prayers that Paul is referring to are all recorded in the book of Psalms. They're there for us. David would just kind of, as a pilgrim, just carry on communication with God. It wasn't always on a hill alone where he's tending sheep and then he's praying. He's praying all the time. Something happens. Something disrupts his life. He's praying. He's going to war. He's praying. He's worshiping God. He's praying. So we are to avail ourselves of all of these options, of all kinds of prayers that are available for God's people. Some of our prayers are just like David, desperate cries for help. Help, Lord. How many times do we sense that at the beginning of a prayer? Help! I'm in desperate need. And other times it's just kind of a a sweet spirit of worship that you realize has been going on in his mind and heart, and it brings to conclusion that time in a sweet, worshipful prayer to God. Some prayers... Are offered when we feel overwhelmed in a trial we've all felt that sometimes our prayers are offered up because we sense we're about to slip and fall in battle we've all experienced that and sometimes we get news someone is suffering someone is in trial someone is in great heartache And in intercessory prayer, we immediately go to God in prayer concerning that matter. But one thing we must guard against is minimizing any of those kinds of prayer. They are all significant. And here's what I have found with God. I may be praying over here concerning one thing in the middle of my trial. Do you know where the answers sometimes come? It's over here as I'm worshiping God in the singing of hymns to him. The answer comes. So you cannot despise any of the prayer options that God has provided for you because God will utilize all of those kinds of prayers as you deal with life. So praying always with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is kind of unique in that it is referring to those very desperate needs. We Not help me lest I fall, but God, we, we have a particular need, pressing need. Even in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, eventually, give us this day our daily bread or preserve us in temptation that we do not fall. That's a supplication being offered unto God. We need immediate help. We may feel helpless or even close to despair at times. And so we supplicate. We we go to God and we cry out to him that he would do this particular thing that we are desperately in need of. The psalms teach that as well, by the way. You find those kinds of psalms of prayers. They are a great resource for all prayer and supplication. God's response may come to us in one of these different forms as you're going through the day. You may have cried out in the day in a moment of need. God, I'm struggling, I have a need. And he doesn't answer at that moment, but the next time you're alone with God and you're reading devotionally, he gives you the answer. That's the value of all prayer being utilized. Take advantage of it. It is for our health and our strength and our good. He then adds, and I'm going to break this verse down in half. We'll take half of it this morning and half of it next Sunday, God willing don't have time to finish it all but let's take this portion here in the spirit praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit in the spirit praying whenever wherever every kind of prayer is to be done in the spirit Not some prayers are in the Spirit, and other prayers are not in the Spirit. All prayers are to be prayed in the Spirit. This implies that praying can be done in the flesh, not just in the Spirit. We can be, as James said, we pray... And we get no answer because we're selfishly engaged. That's in the flesh, not in the Spirit. And so, all of our prayers are to be offered to God in the Spirit. What does that mean? In the Spirit. Well, a few things that it implies, and I think we can piece what Paul is saying here to us. They must always be in agreement with God's Word, because the Spirit of God never moves apart from the truth. Jesus clarified that in the Gospels. He will only speak when the truth is given. So to pray in the Spirit means we must pray in harmony with what the truth has declared. We don't pray outside of the truth. That's not praying in the Spirit. That's praying in the flesh. And so to be in agreement with God's Word implies that we are in agreement with God's will. And that's what the Spirit is all about, promoting the will of God in our life. Prayer invites us into an interaction with God whereby we not only gain those things that we need from him, but we conform ourselves to him. And there is where the Spirit is at work through the truth. He reveals his will, God does. Our Father reveals his word. Where are you going to find the will of the Father? Where will you go to find it? In the Word, there is no other place but in the Word. And the Spirit will not ever direct you contrary to what is in the Word. So we are filling our minds with the Word. This is how we can anticipate God communicating to us through the Spirit is we are filling our minds with the Word of God because that is how the Spirit will work and communicate to us. We are endeavoring. As we fill our minds with the Word of God, we are endeavoring to live according to that which God has declared to us. How often that has shown up in the book of Ephesians. The Word and Spirit. This is praying in the Spirit. Paul has taught us much about the relationship between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We've labored a lot of time on that through this book, especially in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In the Spirit is not some ecstatic emotional feeling. Feelings may join in, but it's the Word that the Spirit uses to guide us, to illuminate us, so that we can walk worthy of our calling and follow our Father's will. In the Spirit is essentially the same condition as what he said in chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. These are not different things. Being filled with the Spirit puts us into the sphere of the Spirit. And how do we f- get filled with the Spirit? We worked that through some months ago. How do we fill our life with the Spirit? We, we know it's, it's, it's we fill our mind with God's Word. And he's talking about your preparation for worship in that passage. That your preparation for the worship of God begins by being filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit of God means the Word of God is in your mind. It's there. It's preoccupying you. That is what the Spirit uses to condition us for worshiping God. It's the same as being in the Spirit as he's referring to praying in the Spirit, means that we are consciously living under the lordship of Christ. We cannot reject lordship and pray in the Spirit. Now, we know, we all know, our life may be struggling to be under the lordship of Christ. But if we accept what God has said is true, we embrace it, we submit to it and we endeavor to do what God requires and we're willing to practice confession and repentance as we deal with these things, your prayer will be heard. You are not allowing sin to hinder your walk with God. So it's not perfection that is required to be in the Spirit, but it's an honest confession and acknowledgment of what the will of God is for you that has been revealed to you by the Spirit, through the Word to you. And by your humble submission to those things, you can, as John said in chapter 1 of his first epistle, you can walk with God. You can walk with God. You can have fellowship with Him. What an amazing thing. We spend our day walking with God. Walking with God is not just showing up on Sunday morning. Walking with God is just not some particular event or time that you set aside for him. Walking with God is day by day, hour by hour, fellowshipping with him. That's a sweet thing. But it must be protected. It must be protected. David said in Psalm 66, if I regard or perceive and choose to accept iniquity, to remain in my own heart, and and essentially I'm not dealing with these matters as sin, the Lord will not hear me. David wasn't preaching this to someone else. He was preaching it to himself. If I don't deal with those things that are in me, God will not hear me. Praying in the spirit. It is not being perfect. None of us are. But we are acknowledging our father's will. And we do not consent to the weakness that remains. We do not say, it's okay. We say, no, it is not okay. It is wrong. I acknowledge to you, Father. It is wrong. It is unacceptable. I don't do well fighting against this, but I'm resolved to keep fighting. That's walking with God and not allowing your weaknesses to interfere with your fellowship. That's praying in the Spirit under his guidance. Paul even said it sometimes in our life we just find ourselves overwhelmed. We, we can't even articulate words to our Father. and But when we pray in the Spirit, Paul said in Romans 8, the very Spirit of God is engaged with us in our praying to God. We are assured that even when we can't formulate our thoughts and, and speak the right words, the Spirit speaks those words as they are found in our groanings. That we cannot even utter. This is praying in the spirit. And he didn't say this, write this, because the Father can't make any sense of the groanings. To the contrary, the Father knows exactly. But he says this for our encouragement. This information is meant to inspire us when we are overwhelmed. And it's often difficult to get through. God knows. God knows. He understands our frame. He understands that we are flesh. But we must abide by the guidelines that our Father has given us in order to have access to these benefits that come through praying. You can't ignore these things and expect the father to say, "Oh, that's okay. He's not dealing with that, or she's not dealing with this." But that's okay. It's my child. I'm going to give them what they want anyway. That's not how he works. He, he doesn't. He doesn't raise spoiled, pampered kids. He has set the rules of the house for his family and we need to be in compliance with those things or working on those things, but never ignoring those things. Praying in the Spirit, we are sensitive to those things. Just a quick wrap-up here as we close. We are to go to war. We are to put our armor on and take our shield and wield it against the enemy as soldiers fully equipped. And then we pray. We go forth praying as we go. We, we, we are humiliated, we're humbled by our desperate need for the strength of God because of our feeble nature. But we pray and we pray with courage of faith knowing that God has provided for us all that we need and he will supply it as we obey he doesn't give it if we're not obeying he he doesn't give it and say okay here now you can respond he's saying to us always go in my name and I will sustain you as you go faith is required courage is required to act upon that. And praying always, dear friends. I can't say that I've done this well in my lifetime, but as I get older, it becomes a lot more sensible. <laughs> you know? Praying always. Praying always. All day long. Every situation. Not just the big issues, but I've learned to be on guard with the little issues. Praying. Keeping ourselves in tune with God. Walking in fellowship with him. Praying with all prayer and supplication. Utilize all kinds of prayers. It was outlined by an older author. He says, all prayers, these are formal and informal. God has them both. Oral and mental. God has them both. Sudden outburst or the scheduled prayer time. God has them both. During worship or our daily activity, God has them both as prayer times that we can draw from Him and find the courage that we are in need of. So we are to be also praying in the Spirit, meaning that we are listening to the Spirit as He communicates to us. And through praying, Through the word, we will be filled with the word. We are listening and obeying that word. And we will find ourselves walking in fellowship with the Father and in the sphere and being filled with the Spirit of God who is guiding, illuminating, and producing his fruit in us. Last week, I closed out our study of the sword that we wield as a weapon. And we noted it is both the fusion of spirit and word. And by faith, we use this sword. And we looked at it through the lens of Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. The flaw of the ancient children was they heard the word preached to them but they didn't have the faith to obey that word. And so the result was they died and never entered into God's rest. And so the warning then is issues. Don't do the same. Don't do the same. Instead, let the word of God enter into your life like a two-edged sword. Bring it in. Let it in. It will pierce and divide. It will expose the things you don't even see right now. It will bring those things to surface so that they might be dealt with properly. Let the sword do its work in you. Trust it. Besides, he says, you know that the eyes of your God sees and knows everything. You do know that, right? Let the word in to deal with those things. And then he closes. And this will be my closing. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And when I read this and thought of this this week, you know, the thing, the hymn that came to mind. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. Look at what we have here contemplate this marvelous provision. The word of God enters. The word of God pierces. It divides. It exposes. What am I going to do? You're going to run to the throne and you're going to pray. You're going to pray. That's what you're going to do. And so we are encouraged here in verse 14, 15, and 16, seeing then that we have such a great high priest That is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Hold on to that which you declare and believe. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. All of the weaknesses that you feel and struggle with, he knows them but was in all points tempted just like we are, yet he without sin. So what is the knowledge of that meant to do? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of our need. Praying. We are in a desperate war between good and evil. And we cannot be effective unless we have the armor of God on and we are praying always with all kinds of prayers at our disposal and we're doing it all in the spirit. So come. Come. Know what you have as the word of God exposes you, pierces and divides in you. Don't run from that. Let it happen. Because you have a high priest. He knows, he understands. Go to him, ask him for grace. Mercy, that you might find grace to help. In the time of your need. So we all face those needs in life. Praying is the way that we attach ourselves To the provisions of God that he has provided for us so freely. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and the spirit works in us to bring these things to a greater reality in us. That we might know. What has been freely given. Father, I thank you for this morning and the privilege of opening your word and contemplating these truths about praying. God, how pitiful, how poorly we have often in our life not done this basic thing, praying and failing to realize that this is a state of mind and to live each day constantly walking in fellowship with you and drawing from you the great provisions that you have for your children who walk with you in the light day by day. Help these things to live in all of us better. May it bring about better fruitfulness in our own Christian life that we would be able to walk worthy of our calling that you have given to us. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.